Nostalgia is a great thing, huh? Like for some, <laughs> for, for some of us, uh, it, it's, a, it's a sense of security and safety and, and um, good memories and, and orienting ourselves uh, to who we are. And, and to the world around us and, and helping us make sense maybe of the world around us. Um, I was, we, we were over in Buckhead for an, for an event that my girls were a part of uh, last night. And, and I was in Lenox Square. And uh, I, I posted, I just walked through Lenox Square and all of my charge cards were maxed out. That's, all you have to do is walk through there and all your charge cards, uh, credit cards are maxed out. But you've, you've been to a mall before. Maybe a mall you weren't familiar with. And they have the, the sign, the directory there that has a map of them all. Upper level, lower level, food court. Uh, everything has an A or B or 1 or 2 or 147 or, or up or down. And so you can find the store that you're looking for. I want to go to this store. It's here. But that information only does you, uh, is any benefit to you if you know what? Where you are. Right? There's that little dot, usually, it's a big dot, and it says, you are here. And if you know where you are, then you can find your way to whatever store you want to go to. So for some of us, uh, the past, where we came from, who we are, it, it, it grounds us, and it allows us to make sense of, of our world, and, and who we are, and how we got to where we, we are. I, I mentioned that Nostalgia, looking back, the past has a, has a way of giving us safety and security. And I think part of that is because everything's changing so much today. It, at least it seems like there's more change today than 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. The, 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 the pace of change is so much faster. And nostalgia gives us that settled feeling, that, that security um, we're, we're constantly having to update things now. Right? Computers constantly have to be updated. If you have a phone, uh, then you are constantly having to update apps. Like it never ends. You could, you could push update all today, and tomorrow there's going to be six more that need to be updated, and four more the next day, and ten more the next day. It's this constant process of Always updating, always fixing something. Tell my age, when I was a kid, when I was a high school student, college student, even a young adult, I don't remember updating things. I don't remember having to go through this process all the time and, and fix something. It, back then, things just worked until they didn't, right? They worked until they didn't. Maybe you got it repaired or maybe you had to go buy a new one, but there wasn't this every 30 days you have to go through this updating process. There wasn't this constant change all the time. Or, or a new version, right? New versions come out. Usually before I figured out the old version. There's a new version that's already come out. That now I've got to learn the new version that I hadn't even finished learning the, learning the old version. That's the pace of change that we experience. Again, my age. show you how ancient I am. I got a college degree, I got a bachelor's degree, without ever using a computer. <laughs> ever. I, I didn't own one, I didn't use one. Computers had been invented 
when I was in college, but, but I didn't use one. I, I heard about this place called the Computer Lab, and some of my roommates went to that occasionally. I never did. I, I, I bought my first computer and used my first computer in graduate school. Didn't Google anything when I was in, was in college. Didn't have a computer. Didn't know what a Word document was. Nothing like that. And I walked uphill both ways in the snow. <laughs> Get off my lawn, right? Yeah. Just kidding. Um, but that's how it was. It was just simple, and life was easy, and there wasn't this constant updating and, and new versions. Um, my wife and I, we lead a, a parenting community group. And before our last group uh, last week, we were, some of us were standing around talking, and somebody was having uh, washing machine problems. And, and we, we sound like old people. We're grumbling because we're reminiscing about the washer and dryer we, we all bought when we first got married and how it lasted for, let's see, our, our dryer lasted 24 years. We're still on our original washing machine that we bought like the third year of our marriage. Still on the original washing machine. And we're lamenting that stuff you buy now just doesn't last 20 years anymore or 25 years anymore. And, and, and I made the comment, I, I don't understand why new things today, everything needs a motherboard. Why is that? I, I don't need a computer on my washing machine. I just need it to fill up with water and agitate a little bit and drain the water so I have clean. That's all I need. Now, if the, if the motherboard would sort my clothes and put them in the dryer for me and fold them and put them back in my, give it to me. I want one of those. But it doesn't do any of that. It just tears up. And then you got to update it and get a new version. We live in this constant update, new version, new thing is happening. And so for some of us, it's nice to kind of remember the past. Remember what life used to be like when it was simpler and safer and more, and more secure. We, we have an old refrigerator. It was in the building when we moved in, and we've been using it to store stuff over in the warehouse area. It conked out about two weeks ago. And um, so I've been looking around for refrigerators. You're not going to believe this. They make refrigerators now that if you knock two times on the door, a screen appears and shows you what's inside the refrigerator. I'm not kidding you. Go to Home Depot right after we get done today. <laughs> knock on the door, little camera, which the thing that bothers me about that is, what are dads supposed to yell at if their kids aren't standing holding the refrigerator open for like 10 minutes? Like, I, that's taken away some long-standing dad responsibility right there. Right? It's crazy how much things change, and there's new technology, and there's new versions. And, and so, like I said, I, I think that's why... It's comforting sometimes to think about the old stuff, to, 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 to think about uh, the stuff we knew. Uh, the funny thing about our brain, for, for most of us, is that our brain even edits out a lot of the negative stuff. I mean, it's still there. It comes up sometimes, right? It comes out in relationships sometimes. But usually when you think about your childhood or your teenage years, 
your brain kind of edits things and it looks for kind of those peak moments, those memories that you want to hold on again, not 100%, but our brain has this editing function to it. It doesn't have to be updated, although some of ours could use a good update. But our, our brain has this function where it's looking for the positives and the peaks, and, and yeah, it remembers some difficult times. Um, that gives such a sense of connecting and belonging. I, I think this desire to know about the past and connect with the past drives some of the, some of the new genetic testing stuff. You know about this? Uh, like uh, 23andMe, Ancestry DNA, you swab your cheek and you send it off to some lab somewhere. And then they give you this whole report about where you came from. And you're X percent Irish and X percent German and X percent who knows what. And so you get this whole report about your background, your family. And it even says you may have family in this part of the world or I, I was, here's how I know about this. I, I was talking two weeks ago with my dental hygienist about this whole DNA process, which what else do you talk to your dental hygienist about except for DNA processes? And so we're talking about it, and she got one for Christmas. She got this package. It was part of her Christmas and sent it off, and she was so excited telling me all her percentages and what she found out. And there's a near match somewhere in Kosovo uh, that could be related to you, all of this crazy stuff, and medical stuff. She did the medical version, too, and apparently there's all kind of warnings, like, do you really want to know? Like, oh, you could possibly have one day, and there's like 10 different windows you have to click saying you want that information. Um, she did find out, just a word of warning, she did find out that a lot of people are going through this process and discovering for the first time as adults that the two people they thought were their parents weren't both their parents, which is shocking to get that information later in life. But this idea of, I want to know who I am. I want to know where I came from. I want to know the power. I want to revisit the past. It's, I think, driven by security. And, and where do I belong? It's true in spiritual aspects as well. It's true in religion as well. Um, Zach and the band sang some old songs today. And if, if you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you grew up in a different type of church, or you didn't pay attention in church, then you know, those, prob- those songs probably didn't mean any more to you than the normal songs that we usually sing on Sunday mornings. You liked them or you didn't like them, but there wasn't this connection. But for some of you... For some of you, they weren't just songs, were they? Because when, when you sang those songs or you heard those songs, you were teleported back to another place. Like you were in another building. You, you, you were reminded of a pastor that meant a lot to you in your growing up or young adult or college or, or sometime. You, you remembered a pew that you sat on. You just went right back there. You remember cover dish dinners on the ground. You had all of these connections because those songs, those words, those lyrics took you somewhere. And they reminded you of who you are. That's what stories do, right? whether they're sung or spoken. Stories remind us who we are. Stories remind us where we came from. When I was growing up, I used to think my family was crazy. 
my extended family on my mom's side. I thought they were crazy because they would tell the same stories every time we got together. You ever have family reunions or, or big get-togethers at somebody's house? And you know the 10 stories they're going to tell over that period. And they're going to laugh like they have never heard that story before. And by the time I'm a teenager, I'm starting to think, they are crazy. Like they are all losing their minds because this is the 50th time I've heard this story. And they think it's the first time. Well, you get older and you realize that's what makes us a family. Like those stories, they define who we are and where we came from. Those are the stories of who I am. And so now I love when somebody starts telling that story that I've heard a hundred times. Because that's who I am. That's where I came from. These are my people, right? We are all connected by one story. We have individual stories. We have individual pasts and and places where we came from and and great joys in our past and and deep sorrows in our past and and great successes and and really a lot of pain and, and low places. You have that in your life. I have that in my life, and they're not exactly the same. But there is a story that arcs over all of time and history. It's, it's not just a generation-old story like my family stories are. It's not just a hundred-year-old story. It's the story that started before time and space began. And it's not going to finish until the end of time and space. It, it stretches out over all of history. It's the great story. Some of those songs that we used to sing, I don't think we sang one today, but some of those songs used to have the lyric, old, old story. You remember some of those songs? They talked about the old, old story. That's the one I want to talk about. The old, old story. The original story. The, the story that unites all of us together. And, and maybe you believe that, and maybe you don't believe that yet, and that's fine. That, that's absolutely fine. Maybe Maybe you have heard that story, and maybe you haven't. That's, that's okay. I still think this is the story that connects all of human history and all of us together, and it, and it starts with God. He begins the great story, the old, old story, and it's the story that's told over and over again in the Bible. If you, if you read your Bible... It's not a bunch of isolated stories. It can feel that way. But all of the little stories are pointing toward this one big story. Some of it's done in a narrative, in a story form. Some of it's done in lessons, like remember this, obey this. But, but all of it is pointing to this one story. John was a disciple of Jesus. And... Um, he summarized it. This story summarized in multiple places in the Bible. John summarized it in a way that some of us memorized as kids or, or we've heard it so many times. You could probably quote it. I'm going to read it to you. This is John chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus has been talking to a guy named Nicodemus and, and been trying to help him understand the story and used words like born again and new life and And so Jesus finishes talking to Nicodemus, and John the narrator steps back in to try to summarize. And here's what John writes. For God 
so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved. That's a great place for any story to start, isn't it? To start with love, to, to start with infinite, overwhelming God's love. John says this is where the story starts, for God so loved. The story begins with God's love. And, and it's not a limited love. It's not, for God so loved some people, or for God so loved this group, or for God so loved this culture, for God so loved the world, everybody. This would have been interesting news to John's audience because John's audience was primarily Jewish people. And God had been building the nation of Israel. He was using Israel as an example to, to, that, that we would be able to look back on and understand things about God. But they had interpreted that to mean, well, God only loves us. And John says, no, 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 no. no. God so loved you, but them too. Everybody. Regardless of their background, regardless of what they've done in their past, for God so loved everybody. Everybody that's here today. Not just back then. Everybody that's here today. Everybody that takes up a seat in our worship service, everybody's watching online, everybody that listens to this message later on, for God so loved everybody. But then John says, it starts with God's love, but, but there's some tension in this story, as there is in every story. There's something at stake. And what's at stake is it is possible to live our whole life and not experience God's love fully in the way that He wants us to experience it. God's love is available to everyone, but it would be possible for you to choose to sidestep His love, for, for me to choose to live my whole life outside of God's love. That's, that's the tension. God's love for us, for the world, for every human being who has ever been born or will ever be born, and it's available, but here's the tension we, we could miss God's love. John divides the possibilities of, of our experience in, into two camps. He said either we're going to believe and receive eternal life, right? eternal life with God, the God that created us and loves us, we're going to experience His love in this lifetime and we're going to spend all of eternity in the presence of His love forever and ever and ever. We're going to believe and experience eternal life or, John uses the word, we're, we're going to perish. There's a death, there's a spiritual separation, there's a spiritual punishment that would come if I don't believe in, accept, allow it to count for my life. And, and obviously, what John is saying is there's not some shade of difference here. It's not that one option's really, really good and the other option is just sort of okay. And you want the really, really good one. John's saying the options are worlds apart. 
life and eternal life in the presence of the love of God or life and eternal life separated from God that John says this is like perishing. This is punishment. This is what you and I want to avoid. So, so how do we get to eternal life and, and avoid perishing? John says that we would believe whoever believes in Him, God's Son, eternal life, not perishing. We'll talk about that in just a second. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say the difference between the two is, is going to church. He doesn't, that's not what he says. He doesn't say the difference between the two is becoming a member of a church, even though you should go to church. That's a great thing. It'll help you in your spiritual life. But that's not the defining factor for John between eternal life and perishing. It's not go to, or go to the right church or go to the right denomination or the right non-denomination or, or listen to the right pastor. It's not any of that. John said those are important. That's not the big story, though. He, he doesn't say the difference between the two is you trying really, really hard to be a good person. Because you're mostly kind, you make mostly good choices, and if you just try to do your best, then that results in eternal life. That's, that wasn't the determining factor, according to John. He didn't say try to be a good parent, or have a good work ethic, or be a valuable employee. All of those are good things. We should try to be all of those things. But in the big story, in the grand story of the universe, time, and history, John says those don't really matter. The only thing that matters, John says, is believing in God's Son. What is that? What does it mean to trust my life to Jesus? It doesn't mean that I believe He lived a long time ago. It doesn't mean that I believe He was a historical character or He was a really good person or He was a good teacher. John is talking about believing that He is indeed the Son of God who died on our behalf for our sin. It goes all the way back to the beginning of human history, Genesis chapter 3. There's Adam and Eve, and very early on in human history, Adam and Eve decided that they could control their life better than God could, and so they disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. The Bible calls it sin. Sin is disobeying God. They chose to sin, and at that moment... The relationship between them and God was severed, was broken, and every person who has ever lived after them has what the Bible calls a sin nature, a bent, an inclination to disobey the same way Adam and Eve did. Every one of us, when you were born, you, you had an inclination to disobey God. Now, that doesn't mean that you disobey God every chance you get. It doesn't mean that you disobey God or I disobey God in the exact same way that somebody else disobeys God. It means that there's a part of my heart that always thinks it's right, even when it conflicts with what God has said. There's a part of my heart that thinks I'm the boss, even when what I want to do is against what God wants for my life. There is this draw towards disobedience, and the Bible calls that sin. The Bible goes beyond that to say not only is that sin, we 
are sinners. We are sinners. God gives Adam and Eve one commandment and they break it. Most of us feel like we could handle one. Adam and Eve didn't. God comes along later and gives Moses ten. And probably nobody here has handled those ten very well. We've all played fast and loose with the truth. And that one's in there. That's one of the ten. We've exaggerated to make ourselves look better, to get out of trouble. So we sort of stretched the truth a little bit. We've taken something that didn't belong to us fully. Or we've taken credit for something that wasn't fully ours or we've lusted after somebody. All of us, you go, th- you go through the ten, you're going to find one, two, maybe ten. You didn't make it through, and I didn't make it through. And it doesn't matter if there's one or ten or ten thousand. Every one of us have disobeyed God. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Same language as John there at the end, right? Believe in him, receive eternal life. Believe in him, receive eternal life. That's what John said. That's what Paul said. But Paul says first, I need you to know I'm, I'm a sinner. And Paul raises his hand and says, not only am I a sinner, I am the worst sinner. I am the, whatever is in your past, Paul says, I would put my past against your past and you'd feel a whole lot better about yourself because I did some horrible things. I did some terrible things before I came to know Jesus. I am not only the sinner, a sinner, but twice he says, I am the worst of sinners. For us to experience God's love, there has to be a moment when we spiritually look in the mirror and admit I've disobeyed God. I'm a sinner. I, I have broken relationship with God. So, so we have this truth, this good news on, on one hand that God is love. Good news, God is love. And then we have this really bad news. We've all rejected that love by disobeying Him. We've pushed God's love away Because we wanted to do it ourselves. Good news, God's love, and He loves everybody, and He loves you. Bad news, you're a sinner. And John says, it's going to be possible for you to continue on this pattern and never experience the love of God in your life. And if you do that, you're going to perish. But there's some more good news. Not only does God love us, and, and bad news, we're sinners, the good news is that none of us can out God's grace. So whatever you have stacked up over here on the sinner side, if you're like Paul, if you're honest and, and you're like Paul and say, mine's pretty bad, my record's pretty bad as far as disobeying God, and a lot of it nobody else knows about but me and God, but I know about it and he knows about it and it's pretty bad. If that's you, there's nothing over here that can keep you from experiencing God's love. 
There's no sin so great. There's no disobedience so great. There's not enough of disobedience over here to keep us from experiencing God. Paul even says in that, in that verse in 1 Timothy, he, he, he speaks of the patience of Jesus in his life. I'm the worst of sinners. Like I have messed up so many times. And then one day I realized that God loves me in the person of Jesus. And Jesus has been patient through all of this stuff that I've been doing. Jesus has been patient through all of these decisions that I've been making that dishonor him and disobey. Jesus has been waiting and God's love has been waiting and God's love has been coming for me and coming for me and patient and waiting for me to turn to him. And, and it's the same for us. It's the same for us. Whatever you got stacked up over on the sin side, there is a Savior whose name is Jesus who is patient. Patient. He's extending God's love towards you. Matter of fact, in another place, John, same John who wrote John 3.16, John writes, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the kind of love that is coming for us, that God has put on us. Not a love that is responding to our love. Not a love that is waiting for you to love God or waiting for me to love God. As a matter of fact, if we're honest, that's the easy part of this equation. If you and I realize, if, if we admit that there is a God and He created us and He gave us life and breath and He sustains us every day and the only reason we're here and, and we're alive is because of God, if, if we recognize that God exists, of course we would love that God. Of, of course we would want a relationship with that God. That's not the surprising thing. The surprising thing is that when we didn't want that, God still loved us first. He still wanted a relationship with us first. And was willing to do what was necessary to have a relationship with us. He was willing to take full responsibility for our forgiveness and salvation. And for getting us to eternal life. So the Bible says He sent His one and only Son. That's what John mentioned in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. He gave His one and only Son. God takes the initiative out of love and mercy and patience for us. He takes the initiative to send His Son to bear our sin. Jesus, who lives a perfect life, then dies in our place. Now this is a picture that God had been building for generations. All throughout the Old Testament, God had been saying to the nation of Israel, I want you to get this picture in your mind. When you disobey, something gets sacrificed. When you disobey, something dies. And so, day after day, the New Testament says, day after day, there was this sin followed by sacrifice practice. You sinned, something has to be sacrificed. You sinned, something has to be sacrificed. And then at annual feast, sacrifices would be made for the whole nation. And it wasn't just giving 
for Israel. It was given so we could go back and read through the Old Testament and realize God was trying to get them to understand the concept of sin and death, sin and death, sin and sacrifice, so that when God's Son, perfect, holy, without sin, came into the world and took our sins on Himself, we would recognize that picture because God had been drawing that picture for thousands of years. And Jesus would once for all pay for the sins of all who would believe. Pay for the sins. Make us right. Crash through the barrier between God's love and my sin. So what happens is in Jesus, God's love over here meets my sin over here. God's love that's coming for me and patient and merciful. My sin that's keeping me away from God. Those two things meet in the person of Jesus. As He takes my sin, bears my punishment, pays the price for my disobedience, and then rises again on the third day. God's love meets my sin in the person of of Jesus. And that is the story of all time, all history. The whole Bible is pointing to this story. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made Jesus, him who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus becomes my sin and your sin and the sin of anyone who would believe. And he takes it away and offers forgiveness. And again, whatever we've stacked up over here, God takes it away. Not, by, not just by Jesus bearing our sin, but by Jesus giving us his righteousness. When God views us, he no longer views us through this list of all the ways we've messed up. He views us through the perfect sacrifice and person of Jesus. Believing that, trusting that, put, putting my whole hope in that is what John was talking about when he said believe. And the consequence of that belief or not belief is eternal life or perishing. John went on. After verse 16, he said, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And in this verse, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Two options. I'm going to allow Jesus' sacrifice to count for me, God's love to count for me, and I'm going to receive life here and eternal life after I die, or I'm going to perish. That's what the Bible says the story is about. And, and, and all over this room, as we're, as we're thinking about the past, many of you and your mind can go back to a moment Maybe you don't know the exact day. Maybe you can't say what day on the calendar it was. But you, you go back to a moment where you recognized your sin and the great love of God for you and the sacrifice of Jesus for you, and you put your trust in Him. 
Like you remember that. See, I, I think the Holy Spirit gives everybody that chance. I believe the Holy Spirit comes to people maybe once, maybe 10 times, maybe 50 times. Probably different for every person. But I believe the Holy Spirit comes to every person and says, this is your time. Now's your time. For me, I was eight years old. I was eight years old, and I don't even know how it happened. I just had an awareness that I needed Jesus. That I was a sinner, and I needed Jesus. And I didn't know any theology, and I hadn't memorized a whole lot of Bible verses, and there wasn't a whole lot of things I could explain to you as an eight-year-old. I just knew, I need Jesus. For some of you, you were about that age, or maybe you were a teenager, or a college student, or an adult, or, or maybe you're here today, and the Holy Spirit is saying to you, this is your day. This is your day. This is your moment. Don't push that aside. Don't push that away. Don't worry about what the person sitting next to you is going to think or the person you came with think or, or how you're going to explain this later on. For some of you, the Holy Spirit is coming to you and saying, you've run long enough. Jesus has been patient with you. Now come into God's love. Experience the forgiveness and freedom that Jesus bought for you in the cross. Today's somebody's day. See, Jesus, Jesus wants you to have a you are here moment in your life. This is the moment that's going to define everything else about your life. It's going to orient you to everything else because Jesus is going to become the most important thing to you this morning. And forever, you're going to know who you are and where you are in Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? There's some of us that surrendered our life to Christ. Maybe it's been in the past year, the past five years, or for some of us it's been 20 or 30 or 50 years. We gave our life to Jesus. Well, this story should never get old to us. The, the redeeming gospel, we call it the good news of the overwhelming love of God. In spite of my sin and my mistakes, that Jesus went to the cross to demonstrate the love of God. Today's a day for, for those of us who have come to know Jesus to rejoice and to be grateful and to thank Him again for what the gospel means to us. But perhaps there's somebody here <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit is nudging you, saying, today's the day. Stop resisting. Stop fighting. Stop saying no. Today is your day. And I'm going to ask you just to surrender to that. Just in your own way, in your, in your own words, acknowledge to God that you know you've made mistakes. You, you know you've disobeyed. You need forgiveness. And then telling me you believe that Jesus died and rose again for you because of God's great love. Trust your whole life to who Jesus is. The Bible says you become a part of God's family in that moment. There's not 10 more steps to take. 
putting your faith in Jesus brings you into the family of God. You're forgiven. Past, present, future, you're forgiven. You'll never, never be outside of God's family again. I'd love to talk to you. you. You got a card when you came in. If that's you, if you put your faith in Christ, we'd love for you to let us know that on the card so we can pray for you. I'm going to be available after the service. I'll answer any questions. We'll talk as long as we need to talk. We'll pray as much as we need to pray. Because I don't want anybody to leave here and not know the incredible love of God that was provided for us in Jesus. God, thank you for the gospel that sets us free. May we never get over it. May we never be bored with it. God, we're so thankful that Christ came. He didn't have to. And you loved us before we loved you. In spite of our mess, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our disobedience, your overwhelming love came for us and was patient with us. God, if there's anybody here that hasn't embraced that love, hasn't run into that love, let it be today. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.